Welcome to Mintcast, a podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. This is episode 383.5, recorded on Sunday, the 20th of March, 2022. Broadcasting live from my bat cave, I'm Bill. From my tower of song, I'm Moss. And from my bastion of research papers, I'm Norbert. Oh, I hope you guys are sitting down and strapped in because this is a bootloader episode. So, Moss, what do you got? What do I got? Uh, a headache. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, we're going to be covering Grub Bootloader, Troubleshooting, and Tips and Tricks. I'm going to be talking a long time, and then I'll be talking a longer time, and then eventually we'll let Bill talk. Uh, <laughs> you go right ahead, brother. <laughs> <laughs> this is, admittedly, this is not my... This is not one of my uh, specialties right here. This is one of those episodes you're going to want to read the show notes. Yeah. We'll get all this posted. Yep. Okay. So, Grub, the Grand Unified Bootloader, is fun. You can't boot your system without it or an older boot system. Well, you can, but that's coming later. Every distro you install wants to grab control of Grub all for itself. If you're running a multi-boot system like me, you might want your daily driver to be the distro controlling Grub. If the distro you're installing fails to install Grub, and that is the only point of failure, or if it succeeds, chances are good that booting to your daily driver, opening a terminal, and running sudo grub-install will return things to the way they were. To set the boot order and have all the boots recognized, the simplest tool to use is Grub Customizer. Uh, unless you really like editing configuration files by hand, you do this step immediately after sudo grub-install step and you won't have any problems booting unless one of your boots is Arch, not Arco, or uses an older init system like Solus or Slackware. If you do have Arch, Manjaro, or Endeavor, hang on and Londoner has a tip for you which we'll tell you about later in the show. If you don't already have Grub Customizer, it's in most repos these days, even most Arch distros, it's almost guaranteed to be in your repo. If that is a Debian-based distro, then type sudo apt install grub-customizer in a terminal. You should then be able to run it from your menus or run sudo grub-customizer in a terminal. There are other things you can do with grub-customizer. For the most part, I do not recommend doing them. Setting your boot order in the second tab is often useful. The default is to boot to the first distro on the list. And on the first tab, you can move distros up and down the list but it's just easier to set your boot order in the second tab. Uh, using other tabs, you can manage to create your own personal stunning boot screen or completely dick things up to where you can't boot again. So I don't recommend using anything other than setting your boot order on the second tab, setting your distro order on the first tab, and saving. If sudo grub tech install does not work, then you have an EFI issue, which is beyond my ability to fix other than by installing another distro. Grub will not install to a 32-bit partition, which is caused by the EFI partition being created for Windows, or it may be that your new distro uses a bootloader which is not compatible with Grub. If Grub gets really messed up, you may boot and find yourself facing a prompt that says Grub with a caret. The easiest way to fix this is to install another distro and go through the grub dance as already described. <laughs> yeah. Doing this takes as long as it takes to install, which depends on how involved you get in your installations. However, the best and fastest way is to look up one of the good sites, such as the one found at linux.com. There's a link in the show notes, and it will be described later on because Joe spelled it all out for us, even though he's not here. This involves a leap of faith that you can follow directions well and do not have major issues with typos. You've been dropped into a specific type of terminal with a specific set of commands. It's easy to do, but you may have no idea what you're doing until you get it done. You'll need to learn a new way of describing your drives, for instance. When you do get booted into your installation, remember to open a terminal and set grub with the grub tack install command, or you'll have to repeat the process. It's also a good idea to run Grub Customizer before rebooting. Be aware that there is a difference between a Grub and a Grub Rescue prompt. There may be different commands involved, although they should be similar. 
In practice, very few people go through this process often enough to know what to do without looking it up, so you shouldn't feel stupid for having to do so. However, Joe knows what to do, and he's going to let me tell you how to do it Joe's way. I think I'm going to come up with a huge complicated idea like this and then not be on the show. (laughs) (laughs) So... Joe says, let's go over the standard file for Grub and then get then some Grub terminal. You will find everything we talk about written down in the show notes, including this example standard Grub configuration file that Joe left us, that we won't read out loud in this episode because it wouldn't be very intuitive. So you will find the formatting for that in the show notes, as well as the formatting for all the other configuration files and comments that we will talk about in this episode. Now let's get back to Moss, who will explain what each line in the standard Grub configuration file means. Grub underscore timeout is the length of time in seconds that you will see the bootloader menu. Grub underscore distributor extracts the release information from the slash etsy slash system tech release file and makes names in the Grub menu. It can be used to set the default kernel that is booted, usually the most recent kernel, but you can change it to a later number instead of zero, and that will be the default one to get loaded. If a new kernel is installed, then your list is iterated. I can't believe Joe wrote that. (laughs) grub underscore save default is not normally used but if set to true then every time you select a different kernel at boot then that will be the new default instead of just a one-time load grub underscore disable underscore submenu submenus are used to pick things like a testing kernel or a safe mode kernel setting to false gets rid of this grub underscore terminal underscore output can be used to redirect output to another terminal Joe has never used this. Grub underscore command line underscore Linux contains the command line arguments that will be passed to the kernel. It will be used for all installed kernels. Removing quiet gives terminal output to help diagnose issues in the boot sequence. Grub underscore disable underscore recovery set to true or false to add recovery entries. And then he says, thanks and lists the link to the article he's quoting. He says, that's a broad overview of a standard Grub setup. But what do you do when Grub can't see any of your kernels and dumps you to Grub? This means that Grub is working but can't find an actual Linux distro anywhere. In order to fix this, you will need to do some Grub command line wizardry. You will need to start with ls, which should give you a list of drives similar to paren memdisk close paren, paren hd0 close paren, paren hd0 comma msdos3 close paren, paren hd0 comma msdos2 close paren, paren hd0 comma msdos1 close paren. Thankfully, tab autocomplete works here because you will need to go through each drive until you find the slash vm linus, which is usually under slash boot. But if you see slash boot, you found the correct drive. You will also need to find the initrd asterisk 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 dot img file, usually a number, initrd number 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 dot img file. Then you enter the command set root equals the drive you found, like uh, paren hd0 comma msdos3 close paren, linux path to vm linux root equals slash dev slash where it is mounted initrd, path to initrd, and boot. Your system should boot. This is a one-time fix, and you'll need to reinstall Grub before rebooting, or you'll need to do it all over again. I said that earlier. Uh, You can do this using sudo grub-install slash dev slash where it is mounted, or or if you boot into a Linux distro, you can set that distro using just sudo grub-install. With any manual changes to your grub, always remember to use sudo update-grub. You may also need to need, quote, echo grub underscore disable underscore os underscore prober equals false pipeline sudo space t space, that's t-e-e, space tac a slash etsy slash default slash grub ampersand ampersand sudo update tac grub. End quote. In order to re-enable OS Prober. So now that you're totally confused, do what I said to do in the first place, which is look it up and read it. Uh, <laughs> Londoners sent us a video from someone named Thor for fixing a Linux kernel panic. 
which he found on Manjaro and Endeavor installations on a multi-boot system with Mint controlling Grub. It was very thoughtful of Thor to point out that he did not have this problem using Arco Linux. Don't know why it works on anything Arch except Arco. Or doesn't work on anything Arch except Arco. And I've about babbled myself into a frenzy. So why don't you take it from here, Bill? Yeah, another thing to keep in mind, too. If you're going to do any of this stuff on an Arch-based distro, a couple of these commands are different. I, The one that comes to mind first off. Um, if you want to use the... Yeah, like grub install won't work. You've got a, what is it, grub install, and then you've got to specify the architecture that you're installing for and uh, tell it where the EFI system partition is. And then updating the config is a more complicated command, um, grub-mkconfig. Uh, tack O and then slash Etsy slash default slash grub slash grub dot CFG. It's a little more complicated. A lot of that is covered by Thor in the kernel panic video. Okay. Yeah. So that's, um, that's a yeah. little bit of difference there, but I don't know. And some of the things that are supposed to work on grub just, on my Arch machines, it just doesn't seem to work correctly with um, Grub Customizer. Well, as I say, the easiest thing to do is just install <laughs> yeah. another distro. I mean, <laughs> it, you have to weigh your options. You know, do you really – because you could literally just – Go messing around with this stuff and then leave your machine in an unbootable state and then you're going to end up nuking and paving anyway, you know, so. Uh, well, I have done the, the grub commands three times in my history, if I remember correctly. And I remember the second time I did it, uh, Tony Hughes was willing to give me an award uh, <laughs> because he will not mess with that at all. So. <laughs> Yeah, this I mean, is not beginner's level stuff, but a beginner can get through it if they find the right website to guide them through it right. Oh, uh, and and if you understand some of the t terminology really well, the Arch Wiki, the Arch Linux Arch Wiki is, as with most things, an invaluable resource for uh, information on this. And they've actually got a few pages that outline some of this how to do some of these things in Grub. And you just have to remember, I think the commands that work in Arch will also work in Debian-based and RPM-based distros, too. I think the more simple commands are just kind of a uh, alias that we're used to using with uh, Ubuntu, Mint, Fedora, and things like that. But anyway, um, so having uh, heard all of that, dear listener, if you find Grub to be a bit cumbersome and unwieldy, there are other options. And uh, we're today we're going to talk. I'm going to talk about System D boot. I think uh, Norbert's going to talk about Refined. And uh, there, I've never used Refined. I've been interested in it for some time. Uh, the only other one I've ever used in anger is system D boot because I was kind of, I'm kind of, uh, for this option, just because it requires no extra software whatsoever. And it's, it's just a simple lightweight bootloader that, uh, just gives you the choices of operating systems and you've got a couple of config files. It sounds a little bit complicated at first, but then once you get it set up, you're, you'll be like, oh gosh, that's so much simpler than uh, messing around with Grub. Um, and it's a, it's a no, like I said, it's a no thrills boot menu with no additional software to install. You, d you might have to install EFI boot MGR on an, Arch-based system, but I think you've already got that with uh, with Mint or, uh, well, we're all using Mint because we're on Mintcast, right? Uh, Keep telling yourself that. Right on. It's probably the simplest option out there, you know, because it, it literally just uses System D to create this boot sort of image that 
utilizes the uh, EFI stubs that are already on the system. It's about as simple as you can get in terms of how it works. Um, the best instructions I can lead anyone to with regards to getting SystemD boot up and running is on the Arch Wiki. I mean, you're going to hear me say that quite a bit, actually. Um, but I'll try to outline some of those instructions here as, as simple as I can. Uh, now, these instructions are for replacing Grub with SystemD boot. Let me be absolutely clear. I don't actually recommend anybody doing this unless you can lose, unless you don't mind losing everything you have on the machine. Um, if you're going to play around with these things, I recommend doing it in a virtual machine like a KVM or a virtual box or something. Learn how to do these things first before you try doing it on a bare metal install. And try a RescueZilla backup first. Yeah, I mean, just just this is a road you really just don't want to go down until, well, you don't want to go down it on your uh, daily driver until you are absolutely sure of what you're doing and you have a good, marvelous understanding of all of these components and how they work together and, you know, you understand the concept of an EFI and how it works on the system, you know, because you don't, you don't really need, with EFI, you don't really need a bootloader. It's all right there in the, in the uh, firmware for the system. The only thing a, a modern bootloader does on an EFI machine is tells it which kernel to run and gives it some information as to an init image to run and then passes some kernel parameters or some kernel level commands at startup to get certain things running early in the boot process. So that being said, system D boot, the only thing it does is it, it passes a few commands on to the, to the uh, system at boot and it doesn't get much more complicated than that. But uh, anyway, um, on the, the, the first thing you're going to do is on the terminal Execute the command sudo boot control install, sudo boot ctl install. Uh, this will create the, what happens is on the uh, EFI system partition or the ESP, um, usually it's in slash boot slash EFI. It will create a uh, directory where it puts all of the stub files that it needs to get the system up and running. Grub uh, will, by default, create a directory called Grub inside of the EFI system partition. And with, uh, I think, systemd boot just creates one. Uh, they they might call it either systemd or they might call it Linux. I don't remember which, but it's it uh, it is one of the two. Um, I think I've had both of those directories very populous. I might be wrong. Yeah, I think it. I think it does. And there was one called Linux because populous is one of the distros that uses system input by default. Yeah, I, I have seen that on there. Um, so what it does is it copies uh, slash user slash lib slash systemd slash boot slash efi slash systemd boot x64 dot efi to. Uh, were well the location of your EFI system partition slash EFI slash systemd slash systemd dot boot x sixty four dot EFI and uh EFI slash EF or ESP meaning the location of the EFI system partition or the mount point I should say uh slash EFI slash boot slash boot x sixty four dot EFI and systemd boot will set as the adult ef adult default efi application what that means is it sets your uefi or what we used to call a bios it sets the uefi to boot from that uh esp by default and you can go to your to your bios well we call it bios uh, colloquially but it's it's actually uefi and you can change that uh, 
And that's what oftentimes happens with Windows updates. It'll change the default bootloader over to the Windows bootloader and you don't even see your grub anymore or your system deboot. And people think that Windows just jacked their system up. Well, no, you, you need to go back into your UEFI and change that back over to uh, either grub or whatever it is you've got set. Uh, and then you'll have your bootloader menu again. If you have your EFI system partition mounted anywhere else other than the boot partition, you can specify these locations by ex executing sudo boot control tac tac esp tac path equals slash wherever you put your EFI partition and then uh, also append tac tac boot tac path equals the uh, slash boot and then space install. Um, you're always, you're almost always going to have your boot directory right there at slash boot, but it makes you, if you, if you add one parameter, you have to, for some reason, you have to add the other. So it's important that you put both of those things in the command. Next, you will need to enable the system D service, which will update the bootloader if and when there's an update to the system D stack. Now, if you like when you're running updates and system D itself gets an update, you have to re you have to regenerate the uh, bootloader or the the um, the entries. And that's just a simple uh, pseudo boot control update. Now, as of, uh, I think, two or three versions of system D, you don't have to do this anymore. It, it gets done as a. Uh, uh, package manager hook whenever there's an update to system D, but it's not a bad idea to execute that command from time to time just to make sure. Uh, now, now, now you've got it installed, but it's not going to work because it doesn't, it's got no configuration whatsoever telling it where to get any of its uh, boot information from, you know, and in order to make that happen, you have to write two extremely tiny config files and uh, one's called loader.conf and the other is called whatever name of your operating system dot conf. And they're they're actually located in two different places. So um, if you only have one operating system, which to be fair, you can you can run this with a dual boot with a multi boot. But I really just kind of recommend doing this for a single operating system machine. Uh, because it can get a little, it can be a bit of a faff when you've got more than one. It works with Windows, actually. I've had it working with Windows, but I really, I think you're better off just using this on a simple installation. But anyway, in um, the directory where the ESP, the EFI system partition, um, slash loader, Create the file loader.conf and add the following. Uh, the first line is default space and then the name of your operating system.conf. Now, this is going to be actually the name of the config file that we're going to write after this. Um, but that will be the default boot option when the machine starts out. Timeout space and then whatever however long you want the menu to stay up console mode now that is a setting that tells it the size of the fonts on the on the on the screen because it's a very simple text based menu and if you just use console mode space max you'll get the maximum size allowed by the frame buffer when the machine starts up and then if you want to disable the editor, meaning that you cannot go in and add commands to the kernel, you can put no or you can just, uh, I think by default it's yes. So if you just leave that out, you'll have an editor. That means if you get to the, just like Grub, when you get to the boot menu and you hit the, what is it, the E button, you get, uh, you're able to go into a, uh, editor where you can add uh, commands to the kernel command line. Now, why would you want to disable that? Well, for many operating systems, if you are, if a person is able to 
open up the command and then add init equals slash bin slash bash to the end of the kernel command line, they are able to get a root level shell right at startup without without having to enter any passwords. It's like the oldest, uh, most reliable trick in the book. That is why that is expressly why they put this option on here by default to uh, disable the editor so that you the, anybody that starts the machine does not have the option of doing that. In fact, I think Grub has an option where you can enable an editor, but there's uh, like a password-based subsystem involved in it, um, which would be helpful, I think. But yeah, that that init slash bin slash bash is just uh, that just leaves you wide open to well, you've got root access to the machine after that. Okay, so now you've that file is the main configuration that tells system D boot which stub to boot from and all the necessary information is a timeout, the console mode, the editor. Now we're going to make an entry file that tells system D boot everything it needs to know about the individual operating system that you're wanting to run. Um, uh, so in the location of the EFI system partition slash loader slash entries. Now, and, and if these directories don't exist, you, you're, you're going to have to uh, add them. Add the file that I was talking about up above where it says name of your operating system.conf add that file. You can do that by hitting, uh, by typing pseudo touch, whatever you want your operating system called.conf and then, uh, pseudo nano, whatever that file name is. Now you're going to need to add uh, a few lines to that. You're going to need the title, so title spa, uh, space and then the name of the operating system. Okay, now this one is more important than the name of the file itself because this is what's going to show on the menu when you start the screen. So if you want it to say uh, Linux Mint Cinnamon, that's what you would type here. Um, then you type. Uh, then the second line is version. You really only need this if you're going to put in separate entries for separate kernels. If you're only going to if you're only going to set it up to boot the latest kernel, you don't need this option. Um, machine ID. That's that's only shown when multiple entries with the same title and version exist. That's completely optional as well. The EFI. Okay, the EFI program to start. For example, you'll need uh, one for your VM LINUZ dash Linux, and uh, you'll need one for your microcode. So AMD microcode or Intel microcode or Intel U code. I can't remember which one's which. It even varies between distros. For example, on Arch, it's Intel dash U code. I'm not sure what the, the AMD one is, but on Ubuntu, I think it's Intel dash microcode. Yeah, you got to look and see what it is. I mean, the, they'll be right there in the boot directory. So you have to you have to type in the path anyway. So so you also only, I think we only need that for Arch because other distros, uh, with Arch, you have, uh, at, at least I'm, I'm speaking of, uh, well, I'm not sure. I was thinking about Refide. Okay, never mind what I just said. <laughs> Well, I mean, this just tells it the the other images because these are images that are basically loaded at boot time to get everything it needs to pass on to the init system. So it needs it needs the uh, the kernel, the U code, and the uh, init image all loaded to get the system going, and that's what you tell. So uh, I've got down. We're going to link to all this in the show notes. Um, a, a example of a well-written entry configure, configuration would look like uh, look like this. And let me let me go ahead and share this real quick, uh, just for the. So what I'm what I'm referring to is this right here. This would be the a well-written. Um, 
a well-written entry file for uh, systemd boot. And yeah, what we have here is the title. This is the title that will show up on the menu. And then these are the, now you see how it just says slash. The reason is that is a uh, relative file path. So it's, it's uh, relative to the boot uh, directory because systemd boot is not able to access anything outside of the boot directory. So these paths that you see here under Linux init RD are relative file paths. And then your root, you can, you can do this, um, option root equals, I did it, um, they had it set up with like a UUID, but I, you can, you can actually do this by just specifying the, uh, device path like I did here. Um, the only time you're going to run into problems is if you have, for some reason, a situation where your device paths might change because you have devices hot swapping in and out of a system, you know, which is not a typical case, but uh, that would be the only reason you would want to do something like, uh, oh, root equals UUID equals, and then the UUID of the root directory. And then RW, that just tells it read write for that that relative directory and then this is where you will append like uh quiet and uh i don't know splash or any other you know of the custom commands that you want to add at boot this right here is the line this right here would be the one thing that would be changed the most as you go on now once you're all done with that you've got system D boot. It's a good idea at this point though to go ahead and uninstall grub from the system and then go into your EFI system partition and uh erase the entry for grub. And I'm gonna I'm gonna show you that too here real quick. Remember most of our listeners are listeners. Yeah. I'm gonna try I'm gonna do the best I can to describe this as I go to I'm gonna share my file manager. Uh, but this is, um, okay, so your boot partition is going to be in uh, your file system and then like at the at the root level and then boot. And then here's the EFI. But it won't let part. you in. No, default. you got to give it a root password. Apparently twice. Oh, I guess, I guess Min does that because X accepts an XFC. I know that Tuna doesn't uh, give you a password prompt. Uh, so right here is EFI. Now this EFI is likely uh, mounted to a different location or a different volume than the boot. And I, as you can see here, because I'm using Grub, it's got three. It's interesting they use Ubuntu. I've got three uh, things here, and that's got all the shems and the configs in it. This is, yeah, okay. You'll want to get rid of the, either the one that says Grub or the one that says Ubuntu. Or I think if you're using Arch, it'll it'll say Arch. But that's in uh, slash boot slash EFI slash EFI in all caps. And uh, that's, that's where that directory would be. So you can get rid of that after uh, uninstalling, uninstalling Grub. That way there's no confusion in the UEFI where you have to go back and change in the UF EFI settings what bootloader to use. Because if it's if the UEFI thinks it still needs to go to the Grub bootloader, but you don't have Grub installed, you're gonna get a you're gonna get a no boot situation. Um, also if you completely want to uninstall Grub, it's a good idea to I think uninstall the package on the system that's called Grub or Grub2, which will yeah. Yeah, try to uh, update Grub when you update the system, but there is no Grub, so to prevent that confusion. It's just that I don't think that uninstalling Grub removes the Grub directory from the EFI system partition. No, it, it doesn't. You have to do this yeah, two you things have separately. To, so it's a good idea to do both of those things. But as I said, consult online documentation and make sure you understand fully what you're doing before you attempt to replace any bootloader. I mean, to be fair, 
the people that are making these distributions, they choose the bootloaders that they choose because they've partly for personal reasons, partly because it might be the one thing they understand. Uh, but mostly it's because they know this is the best thing or they believe it's the best thing that works for their distribution. So keep all of that in mind when you make the decision to change to anything, whether it's system deboot or refined or whatever else is out there. Um, I, I, as I said before, I recommend practicing these things in a virtual machine using the exact same operating system with the exact same kernel updated to the exact same package set. Um, basically a clone of the system on your bare metal and do it a few times and be comfortable with the fact or we could be comfortable with all these components and understand how they all work and how they all fit together before attempting to do this on your system because you can <laughs> you make one little mistake on any of these things and you're going to have an unbootable system and then you're going to be back to if it's grub you're going to be back to that that reviled grub rescue prompt that uh that uh we just covered yeah that we just covered so and anyway I, that's and if uh, you want to try it in a vm uh be sure to uh, turn on efi support for the virtual machine which i think a lot of them don't have by default and that VirtualBox uses legacy by default yeah uh, kvm does too you've got to install well actually i think if you install it on uh, ubuntu based system it comes with the efi image but it doesn't install it as EFI by default, as he said, you have to you have to turn that on in order to make any of this work. That's I I feel like that's going to be a thing in the future because I've heard somewhere that some of these distros are dropping legacy boot support. So that uh, you know that might just be a no brainer at some point in the future. But uh, anyway, that's it for System D boot for right now. Um. We're doing a marvelous job of making you think that we know what we're talking about, but <laughs> I it's promise you. It's an illusion. You, it is an illusion. So, Norbert, what do you got? Well, for one, I don't pretend to know how Grub works because I try to avoid having to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but as you, as a, but one of the most enlightening things as to learning how Linux works or how boot uh, processes work was looking at the contents of my EFI partition. Before that, it was just this mysterious place where the bootloader lives and it somehow boots your system. But uh, you noted that uh, Grub was installed to uh, DFI partition slash EFI slash Ubuntu for you because you use Mint. And a lot of distros tend to do that. For example, if I look uh, at the contents of my EFI partition, in the EFI, for, in the EFI directory, I have the uh, Fedora directory because that's where Fedora puts its Grub, which means that, uh, which is most mentioned being in control of Grub. But if two distros install the grub in two different directories, for example, Fedora or Ubuntu, you can have multiple uh, grubs installed at the same time. But uh, in that case, being control of grub means uh, which one will be set to, uh, which one will have a higher priority when the system is trying to uh, boot things. At one point, I even had uh, three distros with three different grubs. I just I could just boot into all three and all three worked. So you can have uh, multiple versions of Grub. So before you try reinstalling Grub from a distro, make sure to check whether if it's still there, but uh, just uh, the Grub from a different distro, from a different directory is set to be uh, the first to boot. But uh, I would like to talk about Refined, which is, I think the single best utility I found as to making uh, using Linux more comfortable. Because uh, like Bill mentioned, uh, UEFI has a sort of standardized way of uh, booting stuff. And uh, I would just like to interject for a moment because what you call grab boot loader is in fact grab boot menu and loader. Because a bootloader basically has one job to load kernel and then pass control to the operating system. But Grub also acts as a boot menu, and so does systemd boot, which uh, it lists your entries and you can choose stuff. But an interesting thing is that uh, the Linux kernel itself has a built-in bootloader. Since version 3.3.0, so basically all currently supported Linux kernel versions can function as an EFI bootloader for themselves. 
which is where Refind comes into the picture because Refind is only a boot menu and not a bootloader. In theory, EFI implementations should provide boot managers. This is a quote from the Refined webpage, and all EFI capable operating systems include one. So the limitation of Grub not being a bootloader doesn't isn't really a problem. So Refined is a boot menu specifically for EFI systems, which is most uh, system now, systems nowadays uh, use UEFI to boot. And to install Refined, you just install the package Refined from your package manager. So apt install Refined or pacman s Refined or DNF install refined, and you just run sudo refined-install, and it will, that's it. It will find your EFI partition automatically. It will install itself in the refined fo- uh, directory. So in your EFI partition in the slash uh, EFI directory, that will be a refined directory, and that's where it lives. And it also sets itself as a default boot entry. So after running those two commands, installing refined and then running refined-install, if you reboot, it just works. You can create entries like for grab and system debut, but it's not necessary because what Refine does is, is it sort of works independently from your systems. It's not controlled by any of your systems. And when you boot your computer and Refine starts, it will scan your, your it will scan your drives for bootloaders that it can b- list as a boot menu. And that includes the kernels that uh, themselves can act as bootloaders. So even if you have Refine but don't have Grub, for example, you uninstall it and you boot the computer, Refined will list your kernels. Or rather, if one of your distros has multiple, multiple kernel versions, it will just list one, but you can still select which kernel version to boot. And if you just select one of those distros, it will just utilize the built-in bootloader of the kernel and it works. And it can save you so much headache and is not really updated by a system update. It can't really break, but... Uh, I guess it's more minimalistic and not simple because minimalism doesn't always mean simplicity. So in the refine directory, you have a single refine.com file, among other things, and that uh, way you can customize it. What's interesting about refine, it, it doesn't just give you a vertical list of uh, your dis- systems. It's a, it's a graphical one. So you will have your operating systems uh, represented by little images of the logos uh, next to each other. So it's a horizontal line of nice little icons. The default refined theme is uh, not that good looking, but you can uh, go in and specify your custom background for it and custom icons in the refined configuration file. For example, uh, I set my be refined wallpaper background to be just a page black one. And I created my little uh, own colorful icons for the distros I use uh, for the bootloader. So I, it just basically has a, an icons for folder in the refined directory where you can just replace those icons. So you can create entries, custom entries, boot entries in the refine.conf, but it's not necessary because if it finds your kernel at boot, which is, it, it can, it's, it rescans all your drives at each boot and it only takes like one second. So it's not really, uh, it's a interesting contrast to how long it takes for OS Prober to find all kernels and uh, update grub when you update your system. So it removes all that from the, from the picture. You just start your computer and you will have an up to date list of what you can boot. Even, even if you like, uh, plug in a ventoy stick or a, or a live USB of a distro, it will list as well. So you don't even have to go into the, your, uh, yeah, your, your motherboard's own, uh, boot menu. You can just, uh, start it from there. But, uh, I don't really use the refined config to create these, uh, entries because most of the time, if you don't want to pass your kernel and is, because it will boot even w- without any kernel parameters. That's interesting, but sometimes you have to, you, sometimes if you have to pass any kernel parameters, you can create a refined underscore linux.conf in the boot directory of your distribution or your, your Linux OS. So that separate configuration for the specific OS will live outside of the EFI partition on the root partition or the boot partition, depends where you have boot of your distro. And then if I bring mine up, uh, you can basically have it as a one line. So by default, uh, it will generate one if for the distro where you installed Refine from, and it just has a name in quotes. And after a, a few spaces, it has all of the parameters in quotes as well. So it 
first one is it uh, specifies the root uh, uh, partition. Uh, it uses a UID, so it says root equals UID equals, and then the UID. You can set it to uh, root equals slash dev slash SDA1 or any other one that your uh, root partition is. And then by default, I think it adds RW, which is familiar from what Bill was talking about, so it's a read-write. And uh, sometimes, in some cases, you have to add some more more because uh, when Bill said uh, that the the microcode is as a separate image, disk image on your uh, in your boot directory, I know that it's the case with Arch, but somehow I didn't really find that with any other distro. So for Fedora Void and Ubuntu and Debian, I think it just it just regenerates the the initRD itself. So the, it somehow is included in the kernel, so you don't have to uh, specifically type the path to the microcode for it to work. And uh, that was one of the cases where I had to add something. And the other case where I had to add something as a kernel parameter was on Fedora. Because uh, when I installed the, the NVIDIA property drivers, it updated Grub and it added uh, two parameters that will disable the default Nouveau uh, NVIDIA driver, which grabbed us by default, but because I wanted to use Refined, I realized I had to add those manually. So this is where simplicity doesn't equal, so this is where minimalism doesn't equal, uh, so this is where minimalism doesn't equal simplicity always comes into play. Because, but this is just, uh, because I had to add two parameters. One of them was rd.driver.blacklist equals Nouveau and modprobe.blacklist equals Nouveau. Uh, and uh, nvidia dash drm dot mode set equals one, so I had to add these three nvidia specific kernel parameters. But other than that, uh, and the specifying of loading the microcode on nvidia, sorry, on arch, after you set it up, it's really simple because, like I said, it doesn't even have to have a, a separate bootloader. It can just utilize the kernel's built-in bootloader. Then you can have the separate uh, configuration files for the distros. This is really useful, I would say, if you are multi-booting uh, different operating systems, even multiple distros. I've been trying to convince most to try to use this because uh, he's been telling uh, about his misadventures with Grub, and I think this is one of the best ways to solve that. So if you want to get rid of Grub, and you're on an EFI system, maybe for a single OS uh, system boot is a good way to do it. But if you want to multi-boot with um, various systems, I think Refined is the state-of-the-art way to do it, the best currently best way to do it. Uh, I wouldn't say the most comfortable because, you, like I said, you have to set up a couple, couple of stuff manually. Uh, but the good thing about it is that if you just install it with those two uh, commands, it most likely will work by default. I know it works by default with Fedora, with Ubuntu, with Debian, uh, with Void. I think the only distro that I found that for somehow doesn't, can't boot uh, without grub from Refined was OpenSUSE Tumbleweed, which is interesting, but on the other hand, OpenSUSE Leap can just do it fine. Okay, the other one that comes to my mind that didn't really work with Refined was Slackware. Or Slackware doesn't use grub. Yeah. It Could do- it be because... OpenSUSE's using ButterFS on the boot partition? Yeah, that's the other thing. Uh, I like to keep things simple. So I'm, you're, uh, I'm, I have all my root partitions as EXT4 partitions. I don't use uh, any uh, compression or uh, LVM or I don't even use ButterFS. So that would complicate things. But if you just want to have a si- keep it simple mindset and I... just boot uh, from a regular EXT4 partition where the kernel is, I think uh, Refine just works. Have you tried it with Solus? Uh, I think I have. I'm not sure. The Solus use well, As I've told you before, when you've tried to tell me uh, that I should be using this, I have used it. On a couple of occasions, I've tried it. And the problem when you're a multi-booter and uh, you cycle through distros as fast as I do, those distros don't get cleaned up on the EFI partition and you load refined and you get all of them and they're not really clearly differentiated. Yes, but then, they, then you have to, you have to clean up your refi partition because even if you use grub, those leftover files of the previous bootloaders are still there. You just don't see them. But 
Well, re- yeah. Refind will not clean anything up. It will let you hide things, but you have to be able to identify. No, you got to, if you're going to mess around with bootloaders, you got to go into that EFI system partition and clean things up yourself. I it's, literally have done that and it doesn't, uh, I don't know. There's some uh, relic or something it leaves behind because uh, Refind has always been messier than than anything I've done in Grub. For me, it's only and messy because your mileage may vary. Yeah, it's it, it gets messy if you let your EFI partition be messy. Because let's say that you install Fedora, you install Debian, you install Ubuntu, you install uh, OpenSUSE. Those will create their different uh, directories, so you will have an Ubuntu, a Debian, and a Fedora directory all with their own grubs. And those will show up in Refined. But if you nuke your system, for example, you decide to install Debian or Fedora, and if you go into the EFI partition and remove the directory that is no longer relevant, it won't show up on Refined. Because Refined doesn't really keep a list of what it can boot. It will fetch, uh, it will create a new list when it boots. So. Well, it's the same thing with EFI boot manager. It only cleans up the appearance of the boot and it doesn't change anything in refine yeah. so right now i only have uh, well i have the refine directory and the boot directory the default boot directory on my efi uh, directory but other than that i only have fedora because uh i just noticed today that i still had the mx21 uh, directory because i uninstalled mx uh, recently but i forgot to remove that so i just went and had to remove it but yeah i think that what my my uh the takeaway message that I want to uh, emphasize the most from this uh, in nerds is you should get familiar with how your EFA partition is structured. And it's really not uh, uh, that uh, complicated because if it just has an EFI directory in it, all caps EFI. And if you go in there, it will have a handful of directories, the boot one, and then the if it's not specified to use the distribution's name, it will be named Grub, I think. But if you're running, for example, something Debian-based or Ubuntu-based, it will be a, a directory named uh, Debian Ubuntu or according to your distribution. And that's where Grub lives. So if you want to completely get rid of uh, the bootloader of a system, you just uninstall the directory. And then your refined world won't be polluted with uh, unusable bootloaders. And if you do the wrong thing, you no longer have a boot. <laughs> then you st- all of, this then you, is then you all of the things we've talked about today are things that any especially newer user can use to mess up their system beyond use. I uh, will reiterate do not mess around with this stuff until you've until you've played with this on virtual machines, you've done the due diligence, you've done the learning. Um, it's this is these are things that you make you make just one mistake and you're going to have an unbootable machine. If you one of these config files, if you screw up one command, you know you're going to have an an unbootable, and you it's not always going to be clear where the mistake was made. You know, so it's good to practice these things in an environment that is not nearly as consequential to your life before you yeah. move on to change anything. So well, of- last time, it was just last week, I dropped to a grub menu and I just had to open up the file that I have linked on there on my phone and go through it. And uh, it's not fun, but it's easy to do. You just don't know what you're doing until you got it done. You don't know if you succeeded until you got it done. I sort of forced myself to learn this and get my head around it when I really wanted to learn how to install Arch. But when I got to the point where it said, install the bootloader, I just, I was baffled by how long this and complicated this grab install comments were. And I kind of knew that my friend who talked me into using Arch on Archbury systems mentioned Refined and how good it is. So I just looked up how to do that and it was it seemed more uh, simple. So I never really learned how to properly install Refined. And then I just I just slowly started transitioning over to... At one point I was... Uh, okay, I was using Refined to start Grub and grab to start the, the system, but uh, grab was uh, grab, but grab was because, because I, I didn't bootloader want to, inception. Yes, yes but because grab uh, set the kernel parameters correctly and refined, I had to set them manually. But after I just copied the ones, for example, for, for Fedora, or I know that Alpine was one where even I had to specify kernel parameter for it to be able to handle an EXT4 partition. So with uh, 
But th- th- that's an outlier because with Alpine you have to do more stuff manually than other distros. But uh, when I learned to, to which kernel parameters I need, and I set up a refine, I could just get rid of grab. And I don't really, really even use grab anymore. But when I still had grab, when I was using refine to launch grab and grab to boot the system, if I set grab to hidden, then it felt like I was just booting the system from, from refined and then grab could handle the kernel parameters. Uh, now I'm wondering, one thing is that I didn't think about how to update refine to a newer version because I assume there are newer versions. Uh, and so like I said, since it's independent from a system, I guess you could still uh, rerun the, re- the refine install command to update your refine, but that will probably override your uh, config files. So that's something I haven't really considered, but I don't really think it has updates that that frequently. And the other thing is that you have to set the kernel parameters manually. There's but- a Pac-Man hook that you can write. I'm looking at the refined page on the Arch Wiki. There's a Pac-Man. Well, there's, there's hooks that you can write or systemd services that will update the uh, installation anytime oh. there's an update. So. Will it uh, uh, preserve my uh, refine.conf? Uh, you know, I would look into it a little bit further, but it's, well, I can't tell. It's a lot of information here, but yeah. Um, so if you went through all of that stuff, congratulations, you have a bootable system. Or no. not. Or not, yeah. <laughs> oh. But whatever yeah. happens, don't blame us. Yeah. Just remember, <laughs> send all of your comments to uh, Joe at mintcast.com. Um, org. 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 <laughs> and remember, or us, just mintcast at mintcast.com. Yeah. Yeah. And remember, boss, you 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 don't have to worry about uh, being dropped into a grab rescue if you don't use grab at all. Oh gosh, sakes! All right, let's move on, folks. Uh, you made it this far. We love you. Um, so moving on to check this out. I came across a new GNOME Circle app called Audio Sharing. And GNOME Circle apps, apps are those that are not built into GNOME, but are still featured on the GNOME site uh, as apps that... Uh, mean to extend the GNOME ecosystem. And audio sharing, uh, with audio sharing, you can use your current computer audio playback in the form of an RTSP stream. This stream can then be played back by other devices, for example, by using VLC. And by sharing the audio as a network stream, you can also use common devices that are not intended to be used as audio syncs, for example, smartphones. And that's a brief description for its, from its site. And so if I understand correctly, with this, you can stream your computer audio to your phone and have it be played back on your phone, which is interesting because I could, for example, be listening to a podcast in a browser window on my computer while the audio playback would be on my phone. So I could just get up and uh, even if I have a wired uh, headphones plugged into my phone, I could just walk around the house. So yeah, basically uh, route your computer audio to your smartphone or other stuff. And the other thing I wanted to mention is that I recently learned about the stat command, stat on Linux, and uh, specifically if you type stat space and forward slash, so your root uh, uh, partition, your root directory, it uh, it will print uh, some information about your system, and the last line is called birth which uh, is the date where your system was installed. So this is a very easy and quick way to uh, look up when exactly where your, your system was installed. Because I wanted to check well how old my Debian installation was, which I mentioned uh, in the first part of the episode, and I came across this very easy and useful way to do it. So for example, my federal installation uh, was done on uh, the February so, for example, my federal installation was done on 2022, the 16th of February. So, a little more than a, more than a month ago. And that's uh, what I wanted to say. What about you, Bill? I, I just noticed you have other some other stuff in here. Yes, I may. Okay, so the ever 
the ever talked about video tearing issue when using XFCE. It's driven countless numbers of people away. In most cases, the go-to fix has been to replace XFWM with, or well, replace the compositing manager on XFWM4, which is the window manager built into XFCE with something like Compton. Well, Compton has been deprecated in favor of a new project called PyCom. And I tried that and it did everything except stop video tearing. So moving on, I just literally started searching for other options and that's when wouldn't you know it right in the arch wiki page for xfwm there is an entry just simply called video tearing and it's quite simply going to the xconf uh and replacing uh a single string or executing the command uh and i should have put this i'm actually going to do it now this command uh xconf query you're basically what you're changing is the compositing method you're changing the compositing method that xfwm4 uses from by default it's set up to auto and you're going to change it to glx which just tells it to use the graphic layer the OpenGL layer to do the vsync which will effectively stop the video tearing um, I don't know why this is not set. It must not work with every machine, but it worked with every machine I tried it on. Uh, change that to GLX and video tearing is a thing in the past on XFCE. I thought it was cool. I thought I'd share it. Uh, so we'll go ahead and wrap up. Live stream information is at mintcast.org slash live stream if you see something you'd like to hear about tell us send us an email at mintcast at mintcast.org join us live on youtube post at the mintcast subreddit chat with us on telegram discord facebook or post directly at mintcast.org i'm bill uh you can get a hold of me at bill at mintcast.org drop me an email or i'm bill underscore h on discord i'm uh at WC Hauser 3 on the Twitter and at WC Hauser 3 on the Facebook. Also, check out my new podcast at 3ftpodcast.org. How about you, Moss? Well, you can find me every week on Full Circle Weekly News and about once a month on Distro Hopper's Digest. You can email me at bardmoss at pm.me. And my other contact information is on itsmoss.com. Norbert? You can send me an email at norbert at mintcast.org. Uh, so Joe couldn't be here with us, uh, but uh, if you want to get a hold of him, it's uh, tllts.org. Uh, Linux- Which is the, the Linux Link Tech Show, I think. Yeah, Linux Link Tech Show. That's his other podcast. Uh the email for, or well the the website for that is linuxlugcast.com uh that's another webcast uh, podcast yes. he has two <laughs> as we all seem to have at least two uh well most of us uh me we uh he's also you can also email him at jb at mintcast.org or you can buy him a coffee and the link to that is in the show notes as well. Josh T., Josh Thacker, could not be with us today. You can email him at jt at mintcast.org. He's Josh Thacker on Mint, uh, or on Discord. And at metal underscore Foss on Twitter. Josh on Tech couldn't be here with us as uh, either. You can email him at joshontech at mincast.org, at joshontech on Twitter, and most other social sites. And he's also on an, another uh, podcast in the Mintcast family called Crowbar Colonel Panic. He has also been on the last three Distro Hoppers yes, Digest and will be on the next one. Uh, Nishant could not be here. Uh, you can email him at nashant at mincast.org. He's Rikon Ghost on Instagram, Rikon Ghost at GitHub, Ghost.Rikon on Discord. 
and Maverick00783 at Steam. Before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Josh Lowe for all his work on the website. Hopstar for our logo. Annette RD for the animated Discord logo. And Londoner for our time sync. Norbert and Tony Hughes for our audio editing of the show. Bitemark Hosting for hosting Mintcast.org and our mobile server. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. And last but not least, the Linux Mint development team for all the fine distro we love to talk about each fortnight. Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Clem. Clem. Well, you could have said all the fine distros because now there's two. And at the end, Ah. there's both. There always has been two. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, has been for a while. Anyhow, thanks for listening. Thanks for everybody. (laughs) Bye. Bye now. And it's two hours and 40 minutes. 14 minutes. Yeah. Is that a new a record? show, like I said. No, no, but the fewer hosts we have, the shorter it is. I'm closing